Well, greetings to you this uh, Lord's Day as we come to worship, indeed, Jesus, the Savior of the world. I'm grateful to be with you and to open God's Word with you today. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. Excuse me, I know I've got the stuff that's going around, just general cold, nothing more than that. But John chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 27 uh, to 42. I'm grateful to have my wife Kathy here and my son Zach. Thank you for the privilege again letting me open God's word with you. I just wanted to celebrate and give thanks to your partnership in the mission of church planting. Your church got involved in church planting with the Mid-South Church Planting Network around 2013 and 14. And there's been about two and a half to three million dollars given to that effort. Praise be to the Lord. We have planted five churches, particularized them. One last month with Ben and Marianna Shaw, Christ Community Church in St. Francisville. So they are new officers, new budgets, new opportunities. We give thanks to God for that. And we have five active church plants that I oversee with coaching and training and development. So pray for me as I travel a lot. I think I put about thirty to 35,000 miles on my car last year. And pray that God would raise up more church planters. We, we have many locations we have lots of resources, but we need men and their families called to gospel ministry. And particularly, thank you for how you're supporting Mark and Stephanie Horn in Ocean Springs and Harris and Laura Beth Bond in, uh, in Monroe, Louisiana. They're doing well and, and moving along in their mission and their work. So thank you for directly supporting them. So we come to this text this morning, and we're picking up sort of the second half response of what's already been going on. There's been a divine appointment. Jesus has met this woman at the well. He has gone out of his way to meet her midday. There are all kinds of questions and discussions. He's very patient with her. She's very restless, it seems, as John describes that meeting at the well. They enter into conversations about the hope of a Messiah to come, and there's this understanding that there's wells of living water Jesus talks about. She says, I'd like some of that. And so they're sitting around Jacob's well, a historic well where God showed his faithfulness to people in the past, and he was showing his faithfulness to his people in the present. And as he began to discuss uh, all these things with her, she tried to kind of side-road him for a minute with these theological discussions, and he reminds her of her life that he already knows about, her five husbands and another one in whom she lives with. And from that even, that even discussion, we get our, our doctrine of worship, that we come to worship God in spirit and in truth. So as we come to this text, we pick up the rest of the story, so to speak, and how it moves us to think about the mercy of God and his mission to us and even through us. Let's read God's word together, beginning in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you seeking? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into a town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him 
who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So that, the, so that when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but this word will endure long after we have left this life. Let's pray that God would bless this word to us. Father, we come before you. There is just an audience of one. You know everything about us. Some of us are joyfully coming into worship this morning. Some of us are numb. Some of us are sad and angry. You know everyone in this place. And we are thankful that your word goes out to our hearts and minds. And we pray, Holy Spirit, come down and raise up in our very souls living waters of grace to trust and believe upon Jesus once again today. So would you give us hope? Would you grant us faith? May we see Jesus in him only. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was several years ago where I saw Dan Patrick do an interview with Mike Tyson, you know, Dan Patrick, the master interviewer of sports people, famous people, and as he was interviewing Mike Tyson, he began to ask him a series of long, a lot of questions, and they were showing videos of his life, and as he began to walk through the interview, you, you kind of see Mike Tyson get disoriented, like he's, he's struggling. He's, he's, these are hard questions. He's hearing hard things. He's had a terrible life. He's done terrible things. He's right on the scene with Dan Patrick being interviewed. And at one moment at the end of that interview, Dan Patrick looks at Mike Tyson and says, Mike, it looks like you have a, a lot going on inside of you right now. And Mike Tyson says this, hey, listen, man, not going to lie. There is a lot going on up in there, <laughs> a lot going up in my head. And of course, one of, the, one of the famous statements that Mike Tyson has said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face, Right? Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the face. And there's a lot of that in our lives and our experiences. Maybe you're here this morning and there's a lot going on in your heart and in your mind as you wrestle with who God is and where you are. Maybe you feel like life has punched you in the face. But in this text, Jesus is the master interviewer. And he comes to this woman at the well and he begins to reveal the nature of his ministry, that he's the Messiah, that the kingdom of God has come for her. And as she wrestles to think through her life, Jesus offers her living waters found alone in him. Right? The testimony is, he's known everything that I've ever done, right? Told me all that I ever did. And the subtext is, and he he loved me. He told me all that I ever did, anything I've ever done, and he loved me. Is the exclamation of this interview, this relationship. 
Now, you, as you look at John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, they're meant to be read together. That's John's point in the gospel. He gives us the picture of Nicodemus, who is a very religious man, a religious leader, but doesn't know about how to be born into the kingdom of God. And he should know that, if you remember that text. And Jesus reminded Nicodemus that he had to have the Holy Spirit blow upon him so that he could enter into the kingdom of God. He was very religious, and he was very lost. And this woman at the well, she too meets this Jesus who tells her about these living waters of grace that must well up into her, in her, unto eternal life. And so both of these are pictures of God's grace at work in this gospel. That they both needed the radical grace of Jesus Christ to enter into the kingdom of God. One we would say is religious, and many of the Jews would have said of the Samaritan woman, she was irreligious, though she was very religious in that discussion with Jesus in this text. But both needed the grace of God. They both knew about God, but they did not know God. They could have probably described the doctrine of grace while not experiencing his grace whatsoever. That could be our plight this morning. It's what J.I. Packer said, right? In knowing God, you can know a lot about God and not know him. You can talk a lot about the gospel or grace and not experience it. And so here it is before us, this grace that comes to meet us in our lives. That we need the grace of God to blow upon us like Nicodemus and his grace to well up in, in our hearts and in our lives unto eternal life. But make no mistake about it today, every single one of us desperately needs the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That may sound like an old message, but it's the gospel good news message today. Because the grace of the Holy Spirit enables us to keep on embracing the wonders of Christ's salvation for us today. We are like this woman at the well. But, right, we need to be warned that grace is often really offensive because grace is unmerited favor. And we are people who love to garner favor with others and seek to garner favor with God. But grace is free. And yet what we see about God's grace, even in this text, is that God's grace is unpredictable. It's even offensive. And God is not asking us our advice on where his grace should go or how he should distribute that grace or to whom he should give that grace to. This is a kingdom conversation about his grace to you and me today. So I want to look at this conversation under two headings, the food of his mission, that is Jesus' mission, and the fellowship of his mercy. We see the beauty of God's mission, and we see the fellowship of his, of his mercy. In verses 31 to 38, we see that Jesus reveals the food of his mission. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, his heavenly father's work upon the earth. He was on a rescue mission to receive the lost house of Israel. And we see in this the clarity of God's mission as according to God's will for him. Now the disciples are a little confused, right? They're saying, now why is he meeting with this woman? He doesn't he, he's a rabbi, doesn't he know better? Doesn't he know that she's... In the middle of the day, this isn't good. This is not a good look for Jesus. And then somebody else is saying, well, who gave him a sandwich? Who gave him something to eat? Because in this moment, they are both confused and they are critical of what Jesus is doing. But what Jesus does at this moment, when he announces that his food is to do the will of him who sent them, 
He is rearranging in those disciples and in us today his priorities for the kingdom of God. That Jesus' priorities and his kingdom must become our priorities and we must long to serve this kingdom. That this is a kingdom that is eternal, that will last forever, and there are imperatives, there are commands given to us. There are hard things about following Jesus in those commands, like taking up a cross and following after him, losing your life for his sake, going to your enemy, praying for them, turning the other cheek so it can be slapped on the other side. It's a radical things that Jesus calls his disciples to engage in. It's a picture of how we are called into the person and work of Jesus in his kingdom mission. And therefore, it is Christ's word, right, which brings us clarity and sustenance in our lives. We say this, we walk by faith, not by sight, but that is not our common experience every day. We mostly want to walk by sight and not by faith. But according to his word, we walk in the truths of his scripture that bring light into our life, into our path. And simply put, his word, this word of grace, is sufficient. It allows us to know God, not simply know about him. And it allows us to serve Christ with the gifts that he gives us in his kingdom. So we see Jesus in Jesus the clarity of God's will. But we also see in Jesus the coming harvest, his kingdom harvest. That's what he says in verse 35. Look, I tell you, I lift, up, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. This is a command. Look, look out. Can't you see what I see? And the disciples are like, I don't think I see what you see. And in our own experience in life in this world, I don't have this often divine, sovereign optimism. When I look out at our world, when I look into my heart, when I look at things all around me, I wonder, what are you doing, Lord? And what are you going to do? But Jesus, with this divine, he says, I see a kingdom filled with my people who are going to come to me. That there's a ripe harvest. Now, this is Old Testament language. It's divine language. It's the language of reaping. It's the longing for the, the final harvest of the Lord and the second coming of Jesus Christ. It has all that import for you and for me. And it should give us great hope that there is a ripe harvest. There are God's elect everywhere here in Hattiesburg that want to know about Jesus. And our lives and our priorities must shift to seek those lost sheep, the lost sheep of Israel. You see, this this gospel of the kingdom was being sown in the person and work of Christ right before the very eyes of these disciples who simply called him rabbi but now know him and knew him later much more as the Lord who hung upon the cross for them. And at this, at this, at this moment, the mission of God's kingdom is moving ahead. It, it's a historic moment that, that Jesus Christ himself, if, if we think about the Samaritans and the Jews, that, that they were at odds with each other. They didn't like one another at all. They were at enmity with one another. And here Jesus, this Jewish man, comes to meet this Samaritan woman. What's going on? That Jesus himself is he's bridging a gap, a, a social and cultural gap that had been vast and far for many, many years. And so here Jesus comes to cross over these lines to bring the good news of the gospel to her. So that in Isaiah 61, we can say that Jesus came to set the captives free, to rescue them, to bring them alive, to make them worshipers. In Psalm 67, there's a fulfillment of this as well, where let the nations be glad, for Jesus Christ has come 
for all the nations of the earth. Not just simply the Jews in Israel, but all the Gentiles upon the earth. You see, Jesus delights in the work of the Holy Spirit, revealing the kingdom of God to this woman at this moment at the well. You see, her transformation, watching her life change before his very eyes was worth all the sustenance and privilege that the world could ever offer Jesus. He is divinely in love with her because his mission is being accomplished right before his very eyes. And the last thing I want us to see under this this heading is not only the clarity of God's will, the coming harvest, but lastly, we see the confession of God's servants in verse 37. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. It's here what I like to say is some kind of a, a servant manifesto about the kingdom of God and how we should serve our King Jesus. It's a, it's a picture of God's covenant of grace, that his grace is passed down from one generation to the next. He just is so faithful, he keeps bringing his promises from one generation to the next. One sows and another reaps. And isn't that the truth of even this congregation like many others? You're here because of the faithfulness of God from one generation to the next. Through all the different trials and tribulations and difficulty, God has shown himself faithful. And we are to respond with gladness. One sows and another reaps. We are a part of passing on the generational, eternal promises of God. What a privilege we've been entrusted. What a weight, but a joy to carry to our children and even our grandchildren and their children after them as we believe in God's covenant of grace. You know, when I got to know Philip Seeley, it was in 2019 when he went home to be with the Lord, January 13th, 2019, no, 2020, excuse me. And as he began to fade away with stage five, stage four skin cancer, he gave an amazing testimony to many people in Ocean Springs. And we did a video to kind of celebrate what he had learned about his mission. And the first thing he quotes is this verse. One sows and another reaps. He realized that he was going to die, but he was sowing the seeds of the gospel with his life and his ministry with his wife and family, and that God was going to do something with him or without him. And he can celebrate that. One sows and another reaps. He took great confidence that his, that his labors, that his work, that his preaching was not in vain. That God used that and is using that. Now as Mark and Stephanie Horn continue that mission. See, Philip reminded me and reminds us to think generationally and eternally this morning about God's mission in the world. You remember the story of Hudson Taylor, right? The inland Chinese China mission. A man who spent several months sick in bed praying for his work but couldn't even get there on time. But when he shows up to the docks in China, he literally goes like Jesus. He walks out and he finds somebody who will receive him and welcome him in. He literally goes with nothing but the shirt on his back and a few bags that he carries. And yet he brings the hope of the gospel to China because he believed in this kind of mission, this manifesto, one sows and another reaps, and he was willing to give his life away for the sake of China, which is growing like crazy with Christians who love Jesus and are worshiping him even today. But what's astounding is I think about Hudson Taylor's life 
is how did he convince 800 families to come to China with him? How in the world did he recruit, train, and equip them to serve in China? And he did. And there is, there is some, the missiologists say that there were some 18,000 early converts connected to this mission and those families. Surely, right, they had a vision of sowing and seeing the gospel that would be reaped in days ahead. It's a profound picture. Their suffering God used to bring his glory and his gospel to bear. And it is flourishing. Did you see the video of the young people who had four suitcases that looked like it was in China. And it was the first time those suitcases were opened up and they were filled with Bibles. And all the young people came, came running to those bags and took out those Bibles and began to kiss them and praise God and worship Him. Everyone rushed in to grab those scriptures to celebrate that they had the very Word of God. But how? Through the suffering and commitment to the kingdom of God and his mission in the world. And here we are celebrating his work in our lives as well. You see, their food was their mission to make Christ known even through their suffering. Now, I know many of you are suffering here this morning with the trials and tribulations and struggles you faced even as a church in the last several months. Surely you have your own weights upon your hearts and upon your minds. There's things you struggle with that no one else knows. There are longings that you have for your children and your grandchildren. Prayers that haven't been answered, that we long to see answered. Jesus said that we should not be surprised by trials. Peter reiterates that in his letter. Do not be surprised by suffering in many trials. That is the way of the Christian life and his mission in the world. So the question for us this morning is not, are we suffering or are we going to suffer? Yes, you will. The question is, how by faith will you tie your suffering to the gospel of the kingdom of God and his mission in the world? How is God going to use your suffering, your heartache, and your weakness, and your struggle to make much of his glory and his power and his grace upon the earth? How are you going to tie, hitch your wagon, your life, to this mission, even as you suffer in this life, like Philip Seeley did so well as a church planter in Ocean Springs. What is this morning your food and your sustenance? What are you seeking to pass down to the next generation as we sit in this room and think about all those we are connected with? Are we going to pass down Jesus and his eternal kingdom to our kids and their friends and those who are completely lost here in Hattiesburg who would love to meet this Jesus where living waters can well up unto them, well up in them unto eternal life. You see, for Jesus, his food was his father's rescue mission, and it must be ours as well. That is the food of his mission. And secondly, as we consider our, the second heading there, Jesus reveals the fellowship of his mercy, the fellowship of his mercy in verses 39 to 42. We see the power of one's testimony in verses 39 and 29. Two times, he told me all that I ever did. He knew everything about me, and many believed. And she's believing. Is this the Messiah? Is this the Christ? 
It's at this moment that this woman leaves the well, leaves things behind, and the woman becomes a catalyst for the gospel. She goes back to her town, and everybody knows who she is. Everybody knows her track record. Everybody knows she's ostracized by her community. But she goes back, and she tells the story that she met this man, Jesus, to do everything about her. And he loved her at that moment. You see, her testimony becomes the agent of God's story of redemption in Sychar and its people. It's a beautiful work of, of a God, of how God works in rejected places, even amongst those Jews. But his God is always at work. His work is beautiful. But how do we know her work was effectual? How do we know what else happens? Well, we know, if you look to Acts chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, when Philip goes to this land of Sychar, the Samaria, Samaritan region, when he goes back there, this is the response. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. This is the reality that this woman's testimony endured. And how powerful are all of our testimonies when we tie our lives and our lips to the message of the gospel like she did. You know what the response is? Not only do they celebrate this woman's profession, they also get to see Jesus personally. Like we, see the, we also see the power of Jesus' presence in verse 40. So we hear about the Samaritans receive this word from the woman, and they say this. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them two days, and he, stay, and he stayed there two days. Now this is amazing to me. Jesus has three years of public ministry, and he will be crucified. And it's not very time efficient with all that is on the plate and the kingdom of God at hand, but Jesus spends two days with people that are mostly hated by others around them. What was he doing there? What did he do for two days? Of course he taught them the scriptures. Of course he taught them about the kingdom of God. He ate with them. He listened to them. He prayed for them. He loved them. And their testimony comes back right in verse 42. And they go back and they, they said to the woman, For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Today, Christ himself is not a bare word, but the incarnate word of God who came and put on flesh to dwell among us. He's given us his word and his spirit. He's placed the sacraments before us to remind us that he is with us, even to the end of the ages. He is ready and willing, once again this morning, to teach you, to intercede for you, to love you. Are you ready to learn? Are you ready to keep listening to what he is offering in himself? Are you ready to receive these living waters from Jesus? His grace that is greater than all of our sins? I want to commission somebody for that verse in verse 28. When the woman left her water jar. I'd love some, so maybe some artist can, can meet me afterwards and we can talk about this. But I would love to see a painting or a sculpture reflected at the moment when the woman just up and leaves that well to go back to her community in such haste. I mean, the water jar is valuable. It's the family water for the whole day and then some. It's, it's the most precious uh, vessel in one's home. And she was willing to 
to run away without the water she was supposed to bring home because the good news of these living waters were welling up in her. Who cares about the water in the jug? I'm going back and telling everybody I met this man, Jesus, full of living water. What a beautiful picture of God's grace for you and me. It would be a real conversation starter to be sure. And I ask you this morning, what are the things that Jesus may be calling you to leave behind and in haste run after him? What are you willing to put aside, to walk away from, to walk towards the water, the grace, the mercy that he's offering you? What are you willing to leave behind? It is the cost of discipleship. And another question for us this morning by way of application as we near the end is what kinds of conversations do you need to have with somebody? We all know there's things in our lives with others that we're worried about, that we care about desperately. I want to ask you, what kinds of conversations are you going to enter into because you love Jesus so much and you love the souls of those around you so much? You might have to beg God to give you those conversations. That's the story of my life, praying for unbelieving family members. Lord Jesus, give me a moment, just a moment, one moment to tell them again about Jesus. He will give it to you if you ask him. But you know, every one of us has somebody we need to share the good news with or to say hard things to so they would come and trust in the living waters of grace that Jesus Christ offers in himself. Like the Samaritans, we must profess our allegiance to this Savior Jesus. For indeed, his mercy is the motivation for our service in his mission and his fellowship is a response to the mercy he gives us as his church. It was a couple years ago, it was family night, it was Christmas time and I have one daughter so she gets to make a lot of decisions because the other boys or the other four boys could care less and so Kendall said, Dad, let's watch this movie Togo. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Let's watch this movie Togo. Togo is the story about the diphtheria outbreak in Nome, Alaska, where a whole group of children in that city were deathly sick and they needed medicine if they were to not perish. A whole generation literally was on the line. William Defoe plays the character Leonard Leonard Sapala, and he is is a sledsman, right? And he has huskies that drive his sled, and that's his profession, that's his life, and he was very accomplished at being a sled driver. And so there's this one dog that leads his sled named Togo. And Togo and Sapala led this journey, at least of the 600 plus miles, they led half of it to bring the medicine back to Nome and Alaska and the other ones as well. But there's a scene in the movie when William Defoe says this to his wife. He says, I realized that Togo was not running for the sled that is to be the lead dog, but he was running for me. He says it with delight. He wasn't just running for the sled, he was running for me. This morning, what are you running after other than Jesus and his kingdom? Because, what, because when we realize who and what we are running for, then our lives and our conversations will change. Because we're not dogs pulling sleds. We are servants running after Jesus and his mission. For Jesus is our food. 
And his fellowship is indeed a divine mercy for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that in the wisdom of your eternal redemption, you sent your Son, born of a woman, born of the law, to meet a woman at the well. And she would say, I met a man who knew everything about me, and he loved me. We thank you that we love you because you first loved us. And we pray this in your name, King Jesus. Amen.